But what does it mean to streamline a business? At its core, it means simplifying or eliminating unnecessary tasks to make running the business easier. While eliminating things may sound simple, streamlining a business can involve hard decisions. In this episode, we connect with Kyle, who streamlined his business by restructuring his remote team. In the case of this small business, restructuring involved removing one job role and as a result, navigating changing scopes of work for the rest of his team, all the while maintaining the core value of relationship-focused servicing and a high-vibe work culture. Kyle shares his thought process behind the change, why it was necessary, and the impact on his business. Stay tuned. Welcome to the Small But Mighty Agency Podcast. If you're a creative consultant or agency owner who wants to know what the roller coaster ride really looks like to grow your business from one to many, you're in the right place. My guest and I pull back the curtains on the realities of growing and running agencies of different sizes and what it takes to build a team. And if you're anything like me, you want more than the highlight reel. You want to learn from the mistakes of others so that you can stop short of making the same mistakes. I'm your host, Audrey Joy Kwan. I spend my days as a coach and consultant to multiple six and seven figure agency owners. For the last seven years, I've been behind the scenes helping people grow, lead, and operate small but mighty agencies. Here at the Small But Mighty Agency podcast, we'll uncover what works and equally as important what didn't work to get these business owners to where they are today. Hey, it's Audrey, and you're listening to the Small But Mighty Agency podcast. Today, we have Kyle with us, and I'm going to let Kyle tell you a bit about his marketing agency. Kyle? Oh, I uh, appreciate you having me on here. Well, my name is Kyle Doran, and I am the co-owner of RNA Marketing, a boutique furniture-focused ad agency uh, based in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, we have 30 full-service furniture retailers all across the country. And our core niche is a independently owned small uh, furniture store. So we have clients that have sales volume as low as a million dollars a year, all the way up to $30 million a year. And our primary objective is to be their in-house advertising agency and serve as their chief marketing officer. We have five graphic designers on staff and three content people and a host of subcontractors and freelancers, just like any agency does today that helps make this complicated marketing world uh, come to work. So that's what we do. It's been a year of making your business more efficient and effective. I know this because we've had this conversation offline. And as a result, uh, it's been one of the most profitable years for you. Can you share what you've done in your business this year to catalyze that growth? Well, I think... The first thing is, which all of us as business owners and especially agency owners, uh, if you didn't see the writing on the wall when things were happening in March of 2020, it was going to smack you straight in the face. And uh, my brother and I realized really early on that if we were going to sustain as a business and whatever this new reality was, which none of us at the time could really figure out what that is, we were going to have to stick to our core of who we are, which as you just talked about, that we're relationship focused. We're, we're in this to help these business owners sell more furniture. That's, that's our job. 
how do we double down on that, but then create a environment that has less barriers for the retailer to make, to make them feel comfortable spending money when at the time they're generating $0 in revenue or working real hard to land a small amount of revenue when they're operating by appointment or what have you. So we kind of started to brainstorm if we could start this thing over again, knowing that we're basically starting at zero, but all of a sudden we inherited a client list and they had money to spend, you know, what, what's the single greatest thing that's created, created the most stress in regards to either people departing the agency or uh, people, you know, having trouble understanding the value of the agency. And we started to determine that like we created all these roadblocks, all of these, you know, client gatekeeping measures that we were, we were keeping the client away from the real people that get the job done. Like, you know, I'm, I'm just a business owner. I'm a strategist. I love media. Uh, I can dabble in branding, but you know, I'm not a designer. I don't, I don't produce content. I mean, there are way more talented people who can do that. And we hire those talented people. And we had lived in this old method of just having that gatekeeper between the client and the agency in whatever form you want to call it. You can call it account executive. You can call it marketing director. You can go whatever, whatever you want to go in there. But we were, we were shielding the client from the people that actually make their brand come to life. And so we knew if we could foster an environment that would allow clients to have more direct one-to-one communication and also allow that their primary person they're dealing with at the agency was someone that ultimately could make a decision. Because the last thing a client wants is, well, let me get back to you. I got to go talk to insert the blank. And so we just that's how we kind of started it. And then we just decided that we weren't going to bring back any of our traditional account services staff when we came back. And it was a, it was a big shift. It was a big change, but it was something that we felt that we had to do. It is a big shift. I see lean agencies, especially micro agencies, go this route where the account servicing person is often involved in some production work. To clarify, before the pandemic, you had a team of account servicing staff who acted as the middlemen between the client and your production people. Post-pandemic, you made a significant change, removing the peer account executive role and empowering your designers and branding specialists to contact your clients and essentially lead the coordination. I actually went through all of our communication that we had over the last six months with clients uh, relative to proofing and collaboration and everything. And what I realized is that even though our clients in the furniture space prefer a face-to-face, more a, uh, an oral dialogue, they were doing everything digitally relative to giving feedback, communicating through. And I looked through our previous marketing people and everything they were doing was a forward. It was like forward this, forward this, forward this, or assigned through our task management system. And um, I just realized that if we just took away that chain, that the collaboration would happen by the designers and the content people actually just not communicating with the client digitally. So if they had a question, reach out to the client. You know, our clients are busy people. They're wearing 900 million hats, especially in a pandemic sort of era where they're dealing with supply chain issues and everything. Like 
they don't have as much time to talk on the phone and have Zoom meetings and do everything they need to. So they just, you know, they just started communicating. And all my brother and I did is we stepped in and said that we're just going to be there as decision makers for the agency to give hard yes and no's so that we can say, absolutely, we're going to do this. Absolutely, we're not going to do this. And, you know, that's that's where we're at today. And let's talk about how your business transitioned out of the traditional account manager role. A great account manager or account executive is skilled with representing the work and communicating it to clients. More often than not, small and mighty agencies are looking for account managers to have production skills. How did you transition your designers and brand specialists into the new expectations? Well, I think, you know, the the one thing was really realizing what is it the work that we actually do. So you know, we're, we're, we're not a project-based, you know, agency. I mean, we do projects, obviously, but we do day-to-day work. So case in point right now, we're in quarter four, right? What do you imagine is going through all, everything that we're doing? Uh, it's a lot of Black Friday stuff. I mean, that we run sale events for clients. So the simple fact that we're industry-focused, we understand what it is they're trying to accomplish. We have commonality in brands. We understand what they're doing. There's a sense that when they get a that first Black Friday piece of creative, there's a there's an already a sense that yes, this this is what we're going to do. We're obviously going to have a Black Friday sale. It's packaged here, and then from there, it's really do I like that Black Friday sale concept or not? Whether that be offer, whether that be graphics, whether that be content, whether that be merchandise, and how we began positioning ourselves and clients as we came back and opened ourselves back up to the said like. You're going to trust us to come up with the best way to merchandise you and advertise you in a very constraint-driven marketing world right now where you don't have access to products, the concept of next day delivery, get it next, you get it, you know, here today, gone tomorrow, it's out of the equation. And we even are moving away from a price point orientation to where, you know, the consumer just wants it. She doesn't care about how much it costs. So when we kind of analyzed that and evaluated that and got clients to agree to that, we then were able to say, you just got to trust the people who do it great, which is the designers and the content people. Now that your designers and content creators have an added scope, what has been their feedback? There's a real sense of empowerment. So when you take our content people, you know, they're, they're, we, label them as account coordinators. They're actually coming up with the promotional plans of what a client's strategy would be for an entire quarter, figuring out the mood boards and everything and the merchandise that said should be featured. And then they package that all together and then send it on. So then there's a sense of empowerment when they're actually physically executing on that. Since your designers and content creators have the account coordinator role, share more about where their time has now gone to. It's gone to collaboration between content and design. So now you have specific content people that are attached to the same designers that are coming up with the content, working together and collaborating and figuring out the hurdles that they walk into in their own workflow. So, you know, you have a content person who says, well, I input this into our strategic brief because of XYZ. But then you have a designer saying, well, yeah, but the way you put it creates these three steps for me, which then by the time you're actually executing on that and posting that deliverable, the content person is like, well, yeah, but I I don't know exactly what I was doing before because you kind of 
jumbled it up. So it's creating them that they know that they need to talk to each other and that it's no longer a content side, account side, design side. It's, you know, we're all trying to move down the same path here. So then all the time they've saved by being responsible and knowing what the client wants, what the client doesn't want, and actually having the empowerment that they, they can actually do that. They're now actually working and refining their craft with other people within the agency. And, you know, we've been trying to get a whole collaboration thing as an agency forever, uh, not just RNA in general. And the fact that now it's happening organically without me or my brother having to create these little systematic meetings or, you know, stand up meetings every day has just been, you know, awesome. Typically, an account person would be at the forefront of assigning the workflow and establishing due dates. Now that you've empowered your designers and content creators to own that role, tell us more about how you're making it work. So, well, the first thing is what's unique about us is the, you know, being on, being in the same industry and working with the same sort of client set. We're actually in charge of when that, when that project starts and when that promotion begins and the deliverables and the content that's associated with it. So... Uh, it all starts with the content person who basically 45 days out before a campaign starts. So let's just use Black Friday as an example, which most of our events are starting next week. Some have already started, but let's just say next week, you know, that would have already been submitted by the content team relative to when the posts are going to go out, what the email direction is going to be, what the suggested subject lines are going to be, what the everything is going to happen. They put it in there, they put all the dates, and then based on those dates that are being input into the system, the task management system automatically picks out based on those dates. It backdates everything to create a dynamic workflow that basically puts all those parameters in place uh, based on when things are due, pre-assigned. So everyone has a pre-assignment, it automatically selects based on the client, and then the work is then produced and in essence... The project coordination really is our task management system, which in our case, we just found a way to combine our form system uh, with, uh, with Basecamp utilizing a lot of complicated, not complicated, a lot of uh, very detailed uh, zaps uh, connecting all those things together. So I really view it that they're actually doing very little project uh, coordination in the sense that we, we keep everything uniform not templated. I don't want to use that term because I think it, we can definitely err on the, well, I'm sure all your stuff looks the same. It's all black plate changes or you plug in your note. I mean, everything that every client gets is 100% custom, unique to their market. Uh, but what we realize is that the workflow and the system of getting it there is that is the template. And then we replicate that and do that. So you just may end up having more tasks that you have to complete based on your role within the agency if you want to run for sale events in a month versus one, but as an agency and what the clients pay us to do, we're in control of how many sale events they think they should be running. And we pitch those and present those. Now, needless to say, it doesn't mean our calendar gets blown up or things happen, but you know, we actually are in control of, of those deadlines. I love that you brought up how you use processes and noted that having processes doesn't mean that everything is a boilerplate. And in fact, processes accommodate customization. We like to establish the boundaries of the sandbox, you know, to know exactly like, okay, this is where the sand has to stay. And these are the tools that you have at your disposal in the sandbox. You can't go outside of the sandbox and bring other tools in. 
these are the tools you have. But if you want to make your castle this way and someone else wants to make their castle this way, and at the end of the day, you all cooperate and coordinate and communicate with each other, then you make as many sandcastles as you want the way that you want to make, as long as you live within the confines of what it is that we're doing. When you run a remote team, having those processes in play becomes even more critical. It's not like you slide your chair back from the desk, stand up and walk over to Sally's desk anymore. Oh, yeah. No, I think that's, um, I think that's 100% true. The, the interesting part, when we, the, the one advantage we had when we got into this whole, you know, everyone has to be home was as an agency, we already were home and had been home. We were 100% virtual since 2011. Tell us why having a remote team was always the vision for your business. When we actually thought about going virtual, uh, we actually had an office. Everyone reported there. What I did is I, I used to ask different departments to just kind of not show up for a week, but not let anyone know they weren't showing up. And what we ended up finding was the only time that people found out that they weren't there was right at the beginning of the day when you're like grabbing the coffee or doing whatever or at lunch that when everyone kind of started working everyone just kind of got into their little zone wherever it was whether it's a cubicle whether it was an office and everything was happening digitally and i think once you decided once we decided that okay we finally it's finally happened we're a digital first entity then you start working backwards and you start saying okay well like if you're a digital first entity, how are you going to communicate? And at the time now, you know, it's not as uh, cool as it used to be, but we just went all in on like Skype, like all in, like, you know, this was before, you know, iPhone was in early existence, but it didn't even have FaceTime. And, you know, it, it, we went all in on Skype. Everyone was on Skype. We used all of our phone calling through Skype. We did video, everything. That was our only requirement. Like when you were talking office to office or person to person, you had to go on video. As much as we people didn't want to do that at first because they thought they liked the flexibility of it, we made everyone go on video so that you at least could know like there's a person here. Like it's not it's not just a, you know, a, an empty line. How did you inspire a team of remote workers, especially in a, in a time where, like you mentioned, 11 years ago, there wasn't much tools to even do the remote work. So how, how, how is it that during that time you were able to inspire your remote team? The first thing that I told them was I said, one, I said, everyone hates commuting. I mean, that, that is the most, that, that is the least productive time of anyone's day when they're driving to the office or wherever and they're driving back. You can't get any work done. You know, maybe you can talk on a few phone calls, but bit, you better have a laser good memory because nothing is there, you know. And so the one thing I said is like, if you just think about it, your work day will get shorter, assuming all things equal, because you're no longer going to have a commute. And now you can utilize that commute for whatever you want. So... If you want to do laundry in the middle of the day, I don't care. If you want to get food ready for your kids, I don't care. If you want to go on a run, if you want to do whatever, like it, it's all you. You do whatever. If, if you want to go to the driving range for an hour, I, I don't care. At the end of the day, the tasks are going to be what the tasks are. If the tasks aren't done, that's how you're going to be uh, viewed. The second thing, and this only happened after we got into it and we started seeing the dollars and everything. This always allows us to be a person ahead. Because we don't have the physical confines 
of space. Space costs money. It costs things that are fixed, yes, but are there no matter what. And so immediately when that happens, it means like now we said, hey, like this allows us to hire someone more than we think we could, where typically if we had a set rent and we had all the things that go with it, you're setting yourself up to to maybe always be behind because you have that physical thing. And the other part was that we, we just tried out some technologies that, you know, you just kind of stumbled onto and you just said like, we're just going to own that. We're going to use it how they think it needs to be used and not try to like, be like, well, we're going to use this part for this part. And we're going to use this part for this part. And we're going to make this work this way. We just really said like, you know, Hey, if, uh, if go to meeting says this is how go to meeting has to work, this is how we're going to do it. And every time that we would get frustrated with go to meeting, we would all of a sudden try to find other tools that were more like go to meeting. And you know, when everyone was zooming in 2020, we had already been a Zoom customer since 2014. Uh, so that wasn't like a new development for us. And so we just started evolving in and changing it. Did you know that I have a free team growth roadmap? Imagine if you didn't spend all day, every day in the weeds of running your business. That can mean more flexibility, more freedom, less overwhelm. I created the team growth roadmap to help my clients gain direction on the strategic systems and leadership actions for a streamlined business and a self-managing team to grow your business. Inside the roadmap, I share my compass method, an acronym for each step of the roadmap to get you out of the weeds of running your business and help you have a small but mighty team that gives you more freedom and flexibility. You can get all the details over at AudreyJoyQuan.com. That's A-U-D-R-E-Y-J-O-Y-K-W-A-N.com or click the link in the show notes right there in your podcast app. Back to the show. Kyle, one of the things you shared with me outside of this call is a tool you've used since 2014 to help you grow a healthy remote team culture. That tool is called a culture survey. Can you share more? Uh, we partnered with a company who actually has developed this culture survey program. And uh, what they do is they actually break up four defining characteristics of what a, what a person is. So you have a fired up person. So a fired up person is like a rah-rah for your culture. Like they're the sort of people that like, you know, you can depend on. They're going to run through a brick wall for you. Like they carry everyone through. Then you have igniting people. So people that are really like, they, they, they live off the flames of that fired up person. Like they, they love following them. They're ready to go. But they're the ones that kind of like when they're put in a thrust into a position, you can kind of see like they, they could get fired up if you get the motivation right. But also you, you don't want to like just thrust them in there because they're going to get a little bit of fire hose to the mouth. Then you have like smoldering people. So like they can kind of start the fire again. They can maybe start igniting, but they also could very easily quickly turn into the final characteristic, which is a burnout. And what we do is we, we partner with this company that we work with and we develop questions and break them up in under our overall vision, which is our vision is to be a transformational company that saves the independent furniture retailer through empowered people, world-class services, and innovative solutions. And 
what we do is then we build all the questions off of that. And from that, we actually have three defining characteristics that we say are universal truths about what it means to be a team member at RNA. Responsiveness, resourcefulness, and respectfulness. Although it's not really a word, I just throw the ness in there. How do you apply the survey in your business and what are you evaluating? It's an evaluation at the end of the year to see where where we're at as an organization. Uh, my brother and I also complete these surveys as well as members of the executive team. And from there, it breaks up and it's into six categories of the of the company. So, um, you know, it breaks into operations and efficiencies, uh, clients, uh, people practices, leadership practices, management practices, and then just overall, uh, overall health about how they feel living within the organization. How does the output or the outcome of those surveys drive your strategic direction for the business? Oh, I, I mean, the very first one that we ran uh, in 2014, we got fired up across the board and everyone understands your mission. Like, and the person doing it said, I, I've never seen that in my life. But he's like, I've also never seen anyone be fired up. And then literally your entire agency doesn't know if they're doing a good job or not. He's like, they believe they're doing a good job because clients keep working with you and they're fired up because they believe in, you know, in the passion of what it is you are, but you have no processes in place to let people know if they're doing a good job or not, besides a client paid us the next month. And um, I mean, that was, you know, we, my brother and I were happy. We're like, Hey, well, at least we know that they understand what our mission is, but you know, we were worried that we were long-term as we grew and added more people, we were going to lose people because if they're not getting feedback, people are going to go find places that they can get feedback. So that's where we started to become and shift and change into how do we become a coaching first organization? Uh, I love that word, a coaching first organization. Tell me a bit more about what it means to be a coaching first organization for you. I mean, uh, for, for us, a coaching first organization really means talking to your people about how we can help them accomplish their goals. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge uh, sports analogies person. So if I'm going to lose some people on the podcast, I apologize. You know, when, when you look at like, you know, the composition of like a football coaching staff, you know, the, it's the, it's the coordinators and position coaches job to actually sit there and be like, you know, you need to be here at this time and do this here, et cetera, et cetera. But it's the coach's job to make sure that they are empowering the people that execute the game plan and make the really tough decisions on game day that are in the best interest of the team. And so, you know, my brother and I decided that we wanted to we wanted to start investing in our people to say, okay, here's here's ultimately what we're trying to accomplish for insert the blank, whether that's processes, whether that's procedures, whether that's the client. Here it here is how you fit into this puzzle. However, how do you want to put the puzzle together? Mm-hmm. Now you, you have to be prepared when they ask that question. You know, when you ask that question, you have to be prepared that you may not like the answer they're going to give, which is okay. 
Because if you're going to really be in a coaching first mentality to, to be able to get the opportunity to give feedback, you have to also be willing to receive feedback. And so a big thing that my brother and I invested in myself and our leaders within the organization was uh, we made it paramount that we all have to find someone that we can lean into who can give us coaching. Because if you're not having people coach you and you're just able to operate without a leash, then you probably are going to be a terrible coach. I couldn't agree more. Everybody has blind spots. And when you have a team that needs leadership, or in other words, needs a coach, being able to see your blind spots, whether that's systems, processes, leadership, or communication, and then working on it has multiplying effects on the health and mindset of the people in your business. Since you've been exploring being a coaching first organization, what feedback loops have you initiated? Well, first thing we did is we, we do more routine 360 feedback between people within the organization. So anonymous, you know, primarily handled by their team lead or their manager, uh, basically sending out and getting, you know, legitimate peer feedback of, you know, and just, just the simple question of, you know, how does insert the blank person reflect the three R's at RNA, you know, being respectful, being resourceful and being responsive. And where are some areas that they don't seem to do that as well? And how can they improve on that? And then from there, then you then do, you know, self-evaluation of, of the individual. Like, how do, they, how do they view that they fit into this? And then also on the manager side, how do they view, you know, how does that line up? And, and, and you make it something that is a, is a non-negotiable, like that, that you have to do it. That, that it's, not a, it's not just like a, you know, we're going to try this, but then like, you know, we're going to, you know, we're going to be, you know, we're going to handhold and do things differently with the big writer or the person who has a little bit of an ego. You do it universal, like you, you do it legitimately. And then as business owners, you hold yourself accountable. And the people that you're paying to do this is that you say, like, you need to do this for us, too. Like, I mean, you, you need to, you know, uh, we, we, we may be the people who sign the checks. And ultimately, we're probably we're, we're going to be here. However, it, do, it doesn't mean that we're always doing a great job. It doesn't mean that we are, you know, moving the needle the way that we need to. And, uh, you know, putting in those practices. Now, has it changed and evolved? You know, it used to be every six months. Sometimes we did once a year. Now we're moving more into a quarterly format. Like, it definitely has evolved and changed. And, you know, you, you see things that you like about it, things you don't like about it, you know, you get, because you get that feedback though, because you're getting that give and take that it's going to be constantly moving, but then it, it puts in the guidepost to have the conversations. And then what, what I started to do as a leader was realizing that, uh, you know, I just can't sit from the top and trust that, you know, it's not even a trust thing. I don't want to use that because that would imply that I, I don't trust people. And that's not, that's not true. It, it's more like realizing that sometimes a different voice is good and you can't as a CEO or owner or VP or insert the blank, you can't put yourself above that of having that individual one-to-one -one conversation with the entry level graphic designer or you know, or the entry level content person, like you, you have to be willing to have that conversation, but you also have to be willing to, to sit there and 
tell their direct superior or whoever they report to like, Hey, like I'm going to have a conversation. I'm not going to tell them how to do their job. I'm just going to ask them how their job's going and not try and make operational changes or use case studies of one, why the whole thing needs to be blown up. Because I think as business owners and especially in agencies, we do that. Like we hear one case study from a client or a vendor and we go in and we are like a bull in a China shop and we change everything overnight because of that one particular thing that could go wrong. But, you know, especially in a virtual environment, you know, the people who are on, you know, are the, you know, that are doing the daily work and doing the grind, like you don't want them to seem like that you're just like an untouchable, like that, that, that you're not, you're not a source and you're here because ultimately like I want, I want every person who works for RNA to, to build the career that they want to build for themselves. And sometimes that means that's not going to be having RNA a part of that forever. And the moment, and that's a practice to be able to say that out loud. Like the first time I said it, I like was choking as I was saying it to a team member, like to actually be able to physically say that out loud that, Hey, I understand that RNA may not be a part of your future, not because I don't want it to be, but it may not be a part of your future because I, I can only grow as fast as I can grow. And you may be wanting to grow faster than I can for you. But what I do know is this is how you fit into the present. And what I do feel blessed about and why is that when we had to make the tough decision that, hey, everyone, we're going to have to let you go for a time period. And I can't guarantee you what the future is going to look like because I don't know what my client's future is going to look like. That universally, I don't, I don't think that our people have any hard feelings for us for the people that didn't end up getting an opportunity to come back. Because I think that we took culture and understanding what our purpose is seriously. And as a result, I'm happy to report that all of them actually got better jobs that I think not better jobs, but jobs that they deserved. And I hope that what we did at RNA was a piece of making that happen. Thank you for the candor, Kyle. Before we go here, I'd like to know what keeps you inspired and at your best. It's not just about RNA growing as an organization. It's not just about helping our clients sell more furniture. It's the, it's the ecosystem that we are privileged enough to be responsible for that. I mean, these are small, independently owned middle of America businesses. Like, you know, the, the sort of stuff that like American Express tells us that we should care about on Small Business Saturday. Like, those are my people. And the fact that knowing that, that every day we help all of those businesses succeed. I mean, like to know, like right now we're doing planning for next year. And then I see, you know, just knowing that we're being responsible for all the dollars that are funneling through all these local communities. And it just makes me really realize that like, it's, it's not just agency to client. Like, I mean, we really are helping all the people, you know, in all of these small communities, you know, we're just a small piece. And, you know, if, if everyone starts acting that way, I really think that we can, you know, help the small business owner. I just, you know, my goal is to save the, the small furniture business owner, but um, I obviously want all small business owners to be successful because I want to be successful. Kyle, where can people find you? Probably the best place is our, is our website, ramarketing.com. Uh, that's our central hub. We can, chat with us. Uh, you can email us, fill out our contact forms. If you want all of our uh, handles on 
social. So Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn are all backslash RA marketing. Uh, so that's an opportunity to engage with us, you know, or if you want, sometimes I like it in like an old fashioned letter. So, you know, you can just send it to our, uh, you know, sometimes it feels nice sometimes, right. you know, like, you know, my kids like get cards and I'm like, Oh, I want a card. <laughs> uh, but that's, uh, you know, just trying to act a little old school there. So, uh, but yeah, that's, uh, that's how you can find us or just walk, visit one of the furniture markets in High Point or Las Vegas. And you'll see us walking around there and, our t-shirts and jeans, as my brother says, we're trying to change the furniture industry one pair of jeans at a time. Nice. So. Thank you so much, Kyle. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Small But Mighty Agency podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes. It would mean the world to me. Or send a screenshot on Instagram while tagging me at Audrey Joy Kwan.